Good morning, Centerway Church. My name is Deidre, and we're excited to be gathering online today. I want to welcome everyone gathering on the live platform and those of you watching or listening later. We're so thankful for every person choosing to spend time with Centerway today, and especially those of you who are joining us for the very first time. We're so glad that you're here. Let's make sure we're all on the same page with some helpful information. First, Centerway is not just a Sunday morning thing. We are an active and serving throughout the week, and many of you are a part of that. That said, if you or someone you know needs assistance or prayer, we'd be happy to help in any way that we can. Please email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. Secondly, we have resources available for you and everyone in your family. There are Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals, wallpapers to remind you of the weekly application question, and a message just for kids. Our Centerway kids learn from the same text, but with kid-friendly content. If you have kids in your home, it's a great way to discuss the Bible and grow as a family. You can find everything I just mentioned on our website. Finally, we are in a special online cycle of circles via Zoom. During this cycle, we're keeping them open, so if you find yourself craving face-to-face interaction and wanting to just do life together, sign up on the Next Steps page of the website. If you're watching live, there are tabs to share your info, give, take next steps, find previous messages, and even share this message. If you're watching or listening later, you can do those things through our website. Here's what to expect today. In just a moment, Mike will be reading the the scripture text for us, Claude will be communicating from the Bible, and then you'll hear some ways to respond in worship, including how you can join us on Instagram Live or Facebook Live as a way to respond through song. Here's Mike with the scripture text for today. Hey everyone, my name is Mike, and I'm going to be doing today's reading. Glad to be with everybody, even if it is through a screen. Today's reading is from John. It's 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Hello and good morning. Uh, my name is Claude. My wife Meredith and I are the lead pastors at Centerway and I uh, just want to take a moment to welcome you. So glad that you've uh, chose to be with us this morning. We're continuing in a series, Still Life, and this morning's message in particular is entitled Satisfied. Still Life, Satisfied. And uh, we're remaining in 1 John chapter 2, uh, verses 15 through 17, as you just heard a moment ago. And as we uh, jump into the message this morning, uh, when I was thinking about this idea of satisfied, I was reminiscent of a, a time I helped some friends move into their new home. They were super excited about uh, purchasing their first home, and uh, they had recently gotten married, and so I had offered to help them move in. We unloaded all the things that needed to be unloaded, and uh, some people left. There was a huge crowd of people there to, to kind of help get them settled. And uh, I stuck back a little bit because I was a close friend. And so I, me and Meredith, my wife, uh, decided to help them kind of set up their home. And so we were moving around some things in their living room. And so we kind of put some things out and then they said, well, actually, can you move this there? And so we moved it and actually, could you move this? And all of a sudden her husband and I are just 
just kind of moving all their stuff. And you've maybe heard those jokes or maybe you have been part of uh, that joke because you're kind of never satisfied where your stuff goes. And so they're just kind of always moving things around. And so it just felt like it was actually a joke. We were continually moving things all around the living room. And finally it was like, she had gotten to the point of just, okay, that's good enough. That's good. Like, you sure? Yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. Are you sure? Because we're here, we've moved stuff. No, 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 that's fine, that's fine. And honestly, it was getting a little ridiculous, so I was somewhat relieved. I left, and I don't remember how long we were gone, a couple days, maybe it was a week, I'm not sure. We came back to visit kind of a housewarming, and the living room was set up entirely differently. <laughs> we're like, whoa, you move stuff around. Like, yeah, I just, I just kind of wasn't satisfied with the way it was, and so we moved things around. Well, I wanna tell you that that didn't end. Almost every time we went over to their home for, I don't even know how long it was, years, literal years. They don't live in that home anymore. But every time we would go over, the living room was moved around again. Literally, she was never satisfied with the way that the living room was set up, always moving things around. And uh, I found it kind of humorous and it was also unsettling to me because I'm kind of more the like, let's get it right and now we're done. <laughs> and uh until I was helping them with a remodel in their basement. And we were doing some work down in their basement. We were putting in some uh, recessed lighting. And I'm kind of monkeying around, I'm measuring it, and it's just, it's just not where I want it to be. And so before I cut it, I'm kind of moving, and no, 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 let's, let's put it here, let's move it there. And she comes down, she's like, what are you waiting for? Just, just cut the hole, it's fine. And I was like, well, I mean, it's a light, like we can't move it. We wanna make sure this is exactly where you want it. Yeah, no, it's fine. I'm like, no, but are you sure this is where you want it? Yeah. Cut it. It's like, but it's permanent. She's like, oh my gosh, you're like obsessing over this. Just cut the hole. I was like, are you kidding me? This is my living room. That's what I said to her. This is my living room furniture. Like you're not satisfied with the way your living room looks. I'm not satisfied until this is exactly where I want it to be. And she's like, okay, okay. That's all I needed to say because it resonated with her. Fact of the matter is, this morning, whether you're never satisfied with the way your living room is set up, where a light may or may not be, whether or not something's level enough or tastes just right, or whatever it might be in your life, the fact is, there's something that you struggle to be satisfied with. There's something in your life that you're just not quite satisfied with. In fact, I wanna tell you there's a lot of things in our lives that we aren't ultimately satisfied with. And so the question I wanna ask you this morning is, why are we so hard to satisfy? Why are we so hard to satisfy? Like, what's our deal? <laughs> I wanna to submit to you that we are so hard to satisfy because we have appetites. Now, bear with me, because I realize now that once I say appetites, your mind's gonna go to food. And honestly, to best explain the, the illustration of what it is that I want to kind of lay out before you, food is perfectly fine. So let's go ahead and go with food. We all have an appetite for food. That resonates with every single one of us. At some point, as a human, you will get hungry. Like it or not. Some of you try to suppress your appetite, but the fact is, you will get hungry as a human being. So let's say in that moment that you are hungry, that you have an appetite, that you're lucky enough to know exactly what it is you have an appetite for. Because we all know the struggle of being like, I want something, but I don't know what. Let's just say, for the sake of illustration, you know exactly what it is you have an appetite for. Now let's go one step further and make it feel like it's Christmas morning. You go over to your fridge and the thing you have an appetite for is actually there. That rarely happens also, right? So you have an appetite for something, you open the fridge, it's right there, 
and you consume it. You're ecstatic. You eat it and you're like, oh my gosh, that was perfect. That was exactly what I wanted. Your appetite is fulfilled. You are satisfied. And in that moment, you realize you will never have an appetite again. You're completely and entirely satisfied for the rest of all eternity because your appetite was fulfilled, right? That is absolutely stupid. <laughs> That's not the case, right? It doesn't work that way. Our appetites don't work that way. Even in a moment that our appetites are fulfilled, that we are satisfied, there's this reality that we're going to hunger again, that an appetite for something else will resurface, maybe even an appetite for that very thing. How is it possible that the thing that satisfied us is now something we desire yet again? It's interesting. We have an appetite that continues to rise up over and over again when it comes to food multiple times a day. But I want to tell you, it's not simply limited to food. Much like our appetite for food as humans, we have an appetite for the things of this world. We have an appetite for the things of this world. We see things that we want, whether it's possessions or maybe a position, position at work, a position on a team, a position uh, with certain friends, or maybe relationships. We have an appetite for things we do not possess, for things we see, for things we desire that seem to never be satisfied. Once we get that thing, we want more of that thing. Or we want the better thing that was even better than the thing we wanted. We're in this group of friends, but man, if we could be in that group of friends. We have this position, but if we could get that position. The list goes on. We have an appetite that never seems to be satisfied. This morning's text addresses this tension directly by giving a command that actually provides perspective. It's pretty cool. Verse uh, 15 says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Hmm. Do not love the world. In the original Greek, uh, this is in the present imperative tense. And so what that basically means is that it will always be a right now command. Right now, do not love the world. Do not love the world every day. For as long as the world exists, daily, weekly, monthly, moment by moment, we are not to love it. We are not to love the world. Now, what's interesting, and maybe we breezed over it and you didn't catch it, the first sentence says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Wait, don't love the world or the things in the world. Well, if it's not the things in the world we shouldn't love, then what is the world? What is the distinction here? Like, because most of our, our minds go to the things in the world. So when I say do not love the world, maybe you think like, I get it. You know, I shouldn't pursue those, those possessions, those, those things. I shouldn't run after the things in the world. But the author's saying something a little different because it's making the distinction between the things in the world. So then what is the world? What's the world? Now, we have to be careful here because this is not a rejection of the people of the world. You might think like, okay, don't love the world or the things in it. So don't, don't love the stuff and don't love the people. Hmm, those worldly people. Just stay away from them. They're coming for you. They're coming. 
No, it, it's not saying anything about uh, rejection of people of the world because actually John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, right? So God loves the people of the world, all the people of the world, broken, thank God, and those that are even running after him. No, this is not... The love mentioned even in verse 10 from last week, which is focused on the well-being of another person, here it's focused on, get this, the pleasure and gratification one hopes to receive. The pleasure. Don't, don't seek pleasure and gratification from the world or the items in it. So you see, this, this verse is in the form of a conditional sentence, and it means this. If you love the world or to better state it so that we can kind of understand the context, if you're taken up with all that is in the world, if you're kind of taken up by the world and all the things in it, then you have nothing left of yourself for God. You've given yourself, you've given your heart's affections, you've given your heart and your mind and your, all of your pursuits to something other than God. It's an either-or situation. Conditional sentence, either or. If it's more than what's tangible in the world, the world, then what is it that we're actually being commanded not to love? What is it that we're actually being commanded not to love? Get this. John is warning us against devotion to a world system. Let me say that again. The author is warning us against devotion to a world system. So do not love the system of the world or the things in it. Let me expound to kind of paraphrase John Stott, one of the commentators that leans into this, says, we aren't talking about an uncontrollable emotion. We're talking about a steady devotion of the will. Think about that. Don't have a steady devotion of your will towards the world system. You may say, you know, I love a lot of things. It's fine. I mean, I can, I can love the way things function and I can also love God. I mean, I don't have to choose. I mean, I'm a free spirit and, and I'm loving in God's love and we're all loving. Love, love, love. Let's just love everything, right? But that's not what a conditional sentence means. It's an either or we aren't saying, like, if you have children or if you can remember your childhood, when you have a favorite color, I love green. My favorite color is green. It's kind of creepy that I'm wearing a green shirt now that I've said that. That was not planned and it seems a little weird, but my favorite color is green. So my favorite color is green. I remember as a kid, I was like, my favorite color is green. I love green. And I remember asking my dad what his favorite color was because I just wanted to be like my dad. And he said, black. And I said, black is your favorite color? And he said, yeah. And I said, black's not a color, dad. That's the presence of all colors. No, I didn't say that. That would have been creepy, but that is true. Um, I, I actually said, dad, your favorite color is black. He's like, yeah. I was like, mine is too. And he's like, I thought you just said your favorite color was green. I was like, no, I love, I love black. I love green and I love black. I, I love them both. Why? Because I want to belong and I want to fit in. And, and listen, there's enough room in my heart to love more than one color. <laughs> what a weird topic to be talking about. Except I think it makes sense to everyone because we know what it's like to, to have a love for something else. Even if we maybe don't fully love it, we can have an affection towards something else. But we aren't saying 
I love this and that. That's not what the text is saying here. It's not our human situation. Love for God and love for the world are mutually exclusive. They're mutually exclusive, entirely in opposition. Here's a better example. Imagine a person said, hey, listen, I have a question. Who's your favorite team? Who do you love? And they're like, I love the New York Yankees. I love them. You're like, really? Yeah, I love the New York Yankees. Well, and I love the Red Sox. Impossible, right? Impossible, why? Because they're mutually exclusive. They're in complete opposition. You can't fully love the Yankees and have enough room in your heart to fully love, or even a little love, the Red Sox. It's impossible. It's an impossibility. It's a contradiction. Whether you like sports, care about sports, or whatever, you can at least understand the illustration that there are certain things in life that are in complete opposition, and you can't love them both. You have to devote yourself to one or the other. And in devotion to one, you remove the other. The systems are in opposition. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The way it is. That's just the way it is. You either have a system of godliness or a system of worldliness. So then he expounds, the author does, and what exactly is the world system then? Like if we're like, okay, I get it. I don't want the world system. I don't want to love the world system. What is it? Verse 16 expounds, says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, it is not from the father, but is from the world. That's verse 16. So let's unpack it kind of from the top, the desires of the flesh. The, the world's system is one that talks about the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are our cravings, the things we give into, the things that we, that we want, that, that, our, that our body desires, and we just say, you know what? If I crave it, I should get it. I should have that. It's a desire of my flesh. I'm going to do that. I'm not going to restrict myself. Why would I do that? That's the world system. The world system is the desire of the eyes. What are the desires of the eyes? They're the affections of the things we want. Whether it's a person, whether it's a possession, whether it's your neighbor's possession or a friend at school, their shoes, whatever it might be. It's something that your eyes, you see them and you're like, I want that. I'm going to pursue that. That's what I need. Desires of the eyes. <clears throat> Third and finally mentioned in the text is pride of life. Pride of life. This is best stated as ambitious. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be ambitious. And it's funny how our culture actually feeds in to this. How is it that our, our culture feeds into this? Because it's the system of the world. So the system of the world, our culture says, listen, if you want it, get it. If you see it, then listen, maybe you'll buy it. So all of our advertising, all of our marketing is about putting things right before you say, you want this. This is going to get you what you need, what you desire. And so you see it with your eyes and your flesh desires it. And then you say, you know what? I'm, I'm going to have a little bit of pride when I possess this thing. I'm going I'm to move forward in the grander scheme. I'm going to move up the corporate ladder. Man, I'm going to go to the right college. I'm going to play on the right team. You, you name it, all these things, the world system feeds into that, feeds into it. There are appetites, our appetites that are just never satisfied. You get it only to want more. It's a cycle. The problem is 
we all, as humans, as I already established, have appetites. In fact, we're created by God to have these appetites. So what do we do? I mean, is it possible to just stop? Like, just stop these things. Just stop wanting them. You know, the best thing for you to do right now is to just decide, you don't, listen, I don't want any of those nice things. I want bad things. I want garbage things. I want broken things because that honors God. When I'm sad, God's happy, right? There, there are people that go to these extremes and, and the, the, the extremes that are intention here are first, I just do what I want because I have an appetite. I work hard. I work hard. I play hard. You've heard that before, right? I'm going to work hard, play hard. I'm going to get what I want. Why? Because I put in my time and I deserve this. So I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to try to satisfy myself. Whatever it takes, whatever it looks like, whatever it is I have to gather or get or whatever, I'm going to satisfy myself. Never happens, right? The other side, the other extreme is to shut your appetite down. You know what? Satisfaction is found in controlling myself. Get it together. My gosh, just stop it already. This is embarrassing. You don't need that. You don't really want that. That's not going to help you. Just stop having an appetite, right? These two extremes. Go for everything. Stop everything. Thing is, neither extreme satisfies us. Neither one. At best, there's some type of, of control over an appetite that we possess. You see, we were created with an appetite that's only satisfied with our creator. It's only satisfied with our creator. And so we're searching for things to satisfy ourselves. And, and the irony of the whole thing is like, God is saying, but I will satisfy you. Come to me if you're heavy laden. Come to me if you're burdened, if you want, if you have need. I am the answer. Human desires are part of God's creation, corrupted by sin. Corrupted by sin, which informs the system of the world. Our appetites become twisted when they aren't directed towards God. This isn't anything new, and it's something that Jesus spoke to very directly. In fact, if, if you have time to read John chapter 4, it kind of explains a little bit the woman at the well. Jesus is at a well, and a woman comes, and um, she's socially in opposition. Um, so there's a, a lot happening. And so I'm going to really oversimplify this, but she is a, a woman that is not allowed to actually be in contact with Jesus because of their cultures. They're literally not supposed to interact. On top of that, she's a, a woman and in their, you know, kind of social status, there shouldn't be some interactions there. And so there's some complications here to Jesus even acknowledging this woman exists. On top of that, she's an outcast of society. She has a lot of issues in her life. She's a sinner among sinners. And Jesus tells her to get, her, get him a drink. And uh, she says, you know, I'm, I'm really not able to do that. You know, the, the social status doesn't permit that. You're going to have to go through a cleansing process if we even interact. And, uh, and Jesus says something rather profound. He says, uh, he says, well, I'll actually read it to you in John chapter 4, verses 13 through 14. Jesus says this to her. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. So everyone, that, everyone that's thirsty 
once they drink, their appetite for water will return. They won't ultimately be satisfied. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, or drinks of the water that, that Jesus will give him, will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is talking about an appetite here. He's making a distinction about the desires of the flesh and saying, listen, you can appease your hunger. You can appease your thirst. You can think your thirst is quenched, but you will thirst again if you want living water. It's found only in me. This isn't a new concept that, that Jesus is presenting. In fact, he does it again. He does it again to a completely different group of people, and it becomes even a bigger deal. He's, he's teaching in a synagogue in Capernaum. And so he's up in front of all these Jewish leaders and his disciples and a bunch of people that have followed him. And, and he says some things. He tells them that he is the bread of life. And they're like, what? <laughs> the bread of life? He goes on. Jesus says in, in John 6, 48, says, I am the bread of life. And then he continues on further down in verse 56. He says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. That sounds creepy. It sounds creepy <laughs> because the people there didn't realize what it is that he was saying, but what he's talking about is appetites. He's talking about the desires and the yearnings of our soul, our cravings. And he's saying, listen, you can be hungry and you're going to eat manna, you're going to eat bread, but you'll hunger again. You'll drink, but you're going to thirst again. So let me tell you something. I am the bread of life. If you want to be satisfied, if you want to be fulfilled, if you want to live fully, then whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him abide. This was a tough teaching. Like literally the disciples pulled him aside like, hey, Jesus, uh, that was awesome. Uh, except the part where you're like, hey, eat my body, drink my blood. Like you should not do that. And Jesus is like, you don't get it. You don't get it. In fact, that day, a lot of disciples stopped following him. Not the 12, but the larger secondary group. The people in the synagogue were offended. They were put off. They didn't understand. You see, Jesus was foreshadowing the reality of his death. He was foreshadowing that his body would be broken, that his blood would be spilled, that ultimately that when we partake of a symbol of his broken body and drink a symbol of his shed blood, that we would realign our heart and minds and realize that it's in Christ alone that we can be satisfied. That there's still life beyond our desires, beyond our cravings, beyond our flesh. In fact, it's true life. Apart from the world, there is still life. You see, when we look at verse 16 of the text that we're in, it explains why love for the world is, is incom incompatible with love for God. It's literally incompatible because they're different systems. But then, John doesn't kind of end there. He provides perspective. He provides perspective in verse 17. He says this. He says, and, and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Hmm. Passing away. Passing away. This is uh, in the Greek. It's in the present tense of the verb, to pass away. 
So it means right now, right now, that which you are pursuing to satisfy you, that which I am pursuing to satisfy my flesh is actually dying right now. It's literally just corroding. The thing that you want to save up for is starting to degrade. It's starting to depreciate fiscally, right? (laughs) We all know that, but it's also starting to literally rust. It's starting to die. It's all going away. The things that we search and we grab for and we want, it's like sand through our fingers. The the outfits that we desire, they will be out of style as quickly as they come into style. The things that we pursue, they're literally passing away. Listen, there's no future in it. That's what the perspective is. There's no future in it. This world, its possessions, the positions we jockey for, the relationships, they're a bad investment of your time, your talent, and your treasure. Hear that for a second. Perspective. It's a bad investment. It's not going to deliver. It's a broken system that requires more than it ever pays out. Who in their right mind would do that? Hey, I've got this great investment for you. You give me money all the time and I never pay out. In fact, from the moment in which you start investing, my company will start crumbling and ultimately it will pass away. But give me everything, the affections of your heart, the actual core of who you are, run with your one and only life towards me. I'll tire you out. I'll make you feel broken, empty, and alone. I will never deliver. That's the world system. And we lean into it. Eventually, that which is passing away will have passed away. And what will your legacy be? What will the legacy of your life, what will be the story of your one and only life? And they they gave everything for this car. Man, they worked so hard and, you know, here's, here's the house. Yeah, we didn't really know, Mom. We didn't, didn't know Dad too well, but, you know, they worked hard. They worked hard for us, so, you know, we rarely had need for anything. I mean, that's good, right? What is the legacy of your life? At every turn, I tried to comfort myself. I tried to appease my flesh. I did everything I could for me, and it never paid out. Sounds so tragic, right? The lists and the examples, they're they're never ending. Why? Because it's a cycle that resonates with us because our appetites, they're never satisfied. Listen, the perception of permanence causes us to function differently. The perception of permanence. We think this is permanent. This matters. But this life is so small. And eternity is so huge. Are you living for the little? Or are you living for eternity? Because the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Abides forever. 
The system was broken by sin. And so an eternal God became a temporal man, stepped into humanity and did the will of God so that we can partake in the eternal. Think about that. God himself said, listen, this system is broken. And so I am going to insert a new system. And Jesus said, behold, I make all things new. Come and, and, and thirst no more. I'll give you a spring of living water inside yourself. Eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. In other words, reorient your heart and mind towards the system of God so that you can live life to the fullest. Will you just reorient your heart and mind towards the eternal? Jesus became temporal so that we could partake in the eternal. He lived the life we couldn't and died the death we deserve so that we can walk in eternity. He had victory over death. We can only truly be satisfied in relationship with God. Relationship with God, pursuing him right now. Right now, the command is daily. So it's not a, it's not a oh, I, I already decided I love the Lord. So I love him. We're good. I also love this house. Oh my gosh, I love that car. You love this shirt? I don't know why you'd say that, but you know, it was fun to say. Uh, you know, the, all the things we love. No. It's a system. I wake up in the morning, my feet hit the ground. God, would you reorient the affections of my heart and mind so that I could love the things you love? Would, would you break my heart for the things that break yours? Would you help me to not live for myself, but have your perspective that I would leverage who I am for the furtherance of your glory, that I would live for eternity rather than the temporal. I want to ask you an application question as you consider how this text informs your life today. And, and this is the question I want to ask. What will I do this week to build on a lasting legacy? We say the text requires something of us. Well, as you consider the implications of this text this morning, I want you to ask yourself this question. What will I do this week to build on a lasting legacy? Something that will transcend time, something that is eternal. Maybe for you this morning, the application is rather simple. It, it means salvation. It means laying your life down. It means stop living for yourself and ask Jesus to come and be the Lord and leader of your life. And it can be as simple as that in the, the quietness of the room you find yourself in right now, whether you're watching live or later on videoed, if, if you could just find a moment and say, Lord, I know that you lived the life I couldn't. I know that you died for my sins. Would you forgive me? Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. And that's how you begin a relationship. That's how you start reorienting your heart towards the affections of a, of a living system. If you've prayed that prayer, if, if you haven't had a conversation with us or let us know that, I would love for you to, to select if you're live to a prayer request and to just let us know. Or if after the fact, you want to email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com and let us know. We'd love to tell you what the next steps are. You could also click the next steps section and, and hear more about that. But if you find yourself having already crossed that line of salvation this morning, I want to challenge you 
as you consider the lasting legacy, is it time to redirect some of your time, some of your talent, some of your treasure? Are you, are you leaning into the world system so much and there could be such an eternal impact if you just leverage the way God created you to live your one and only life on mission with him in greater ways? What would it look like to redirect as you build an eternal legacy? I don't pretend to know what the application looks like specifically in your life, but what does a lasting eternal legacy look like? If you're already leveraging all of that and you're saying, listen, that's who I am. I've crossed this line of faith and daily I redirect my time, talent, and treasure, all those things. Listen, the text still requires something from every single one of us. And so to you, I would ask, are you living counterculturally? As you're doing that, is there something else that you're like, listen, Holy Spirit, would you just check my heart? The recesses of maybe my motivation or the things that I've kind of kept off to the side. Say, well, God, I'm, I'm living for you this way, but don't, I mean, don't touch this. That's, that's too risky. I don't know if I'm ready to take a God risk. I, I don't know what it looks like, but I know that God wants you to live life to the fullest. And God wants you to be satisfied because there's still life. There's still life left for you to live. And God wants you to walk in the fullness of that. And so I want to challenge you this morning as we wrap up our times to just declare yourself available. In fact, I want to pray with you all right now. If you would, just bow your heads wherever you find yourself. Heavenly Father, so grateful that you didn't leave us in the broken system we're in that we have an answer, that we don't have to go through the cycle searching for satisfaction, God, but that you provide all that we need to be satisfied. And so, Lord, we declare ourselves available to you this morning. We pray that you would speak by your Holy Spirit what it is that you would have us to do, to begin doing, as we build on a lasting legacy this week. In your name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. We're excited to continue in the Still Life series, and we hope to see you next week as uh, we continue in this journey. Hi, everybody. I'm Meredith. We're so thankful together together and so very thankful for the Word of God. And what a great question for us to consider this week. What will I do to build on a lasting legacy? Well, remember, every single day is an opportunity to do just that. So let's all be intentional to spend time with Jesus so that our daily pursuits line up with His. That's just one way to respond to the word in worship, but there are others as well, like giving, serving, taking next steps, just to name a few. And we can also worship together through song, which we're about to do if you're with us live. Uh, if you're watching or listening to the message later, no worries, you can find these songs we're about to sing on our Spotify playlist. Just search Centerway Church and look for our Still Life playlist. But for those gathered on the live platform, we'd like to now direct you over to Facebook Live or Instagram Live so that we can worship together through song. We'll give you just a minute or two to join us. Can't wait to see you over there.